Welcome to VR in Education. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another exciting episode of VR and Education, where we dive deep into the world of virtual reality for teaching and learning. Today, we have the pleasure of talking to Joe Millward. So Joe is general manager of Tailspin, a world-leading immersive technology platform. So Joe's role is he's responsible for the development of the Asia-Pacific market, and we're excited to talk to him. And just so you know, this is the second time I've been lucky enough to land Joe on the show. Welcome. Hey, Craig, how are you? Yeah, normally I start out with an origin story, but because you've been on the show before, I think I'll get a little more uh, micro here and say, you know, welcome. It's great to talk to you again. You know, the last time I interviewed you was way back in January 2021. And both of us were doing different positions. So, you know, you used to be the innovation manager at TAF in New South Wales, but you've moved on to a new job with Tailspin. Tell us about that move and why you decided to make that change. Yeah, sure. So um, I was at TAFE for nearly five years. Uh, and uh, in that time, we had a, I had a full team that were developing virtual reality applications. And we were lucky enough to develop uh, nearly 20 applications and we won numerous awards. Um, and what I did uh, during that time, I recognized that uh, the ability to scale this technology was the most valuable thing to do. And the only way I could see that to actually occur was to allow teachers and educators and trainers to have access and the ability to customize their own content. It wasn't enough for it to sit with a specialized team and it was never going to scale to the level it needed to to make a real impact. Uh, while we were doing fantastic things, we could only have a limited amount of impact because we could only generate so much content. Uh, we started exploring uh, Tailspin uh, when I was at TAFE um, and I got on with the team really well and I recognised that the no-code solution that they provided would allow teachers to be able to build things themselves, um, which really had a, a, a quite a, um, a, a big impact on my, my thinking and how I, I was starting to change the strategic deployment of these technologies. Um, and then an opportunity came to join the Tailspin team and it was a, a, something I couldn't, an offer I couldn't refuse. So, um, and for me, um, getting to know the team better and then seeing our roadmap and seeing where we're headed, I saw that, you know, the integration of the technology into LMSs was another big thing that we launched while I was at the, at Tailspin. And that's been some of the secret source of, you know, developing um, this content to be able to be broadly uh, uh, deployed across large um, uh, companies as well as large educational institutes. Um, but then the last thing that really engaged me was um, the, the vision that, that uh, Tailspin have of delivering engaging immersive content, uh, which will develop uh, develop skills for the future of work. And that's like something for me I'm really passionate about. It was one of the reasons I jumped into education in the first place, coming out of sort of innovative companies uh, to ensure that, uh, you know, students and, 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 and folks that are learning uh, in these new spaces uh, are ready for what's coming. Speaking of secret sauce, one of the things that struck me about Tailspin was, you know, their AI avatars. And so let's talk a bit more about generative AI and unpack some of those ideas. So I've seen Tailspin's virtual AI humans, and I have to say, they're pretty stunning, highly realistic and authentic. 
So I really applaud Tailspin's commitment to the fidelity of these avatars. But let's talk more about how you use them for soft skill training and maybe what challenges you had to encounter to get such refined avatars. Sure. I, I, I want to shout out to the art team. I mean, the art team spent a lot of time ensuring that they had virtual humans that were realistic enough and able to effectively communicate and convey emotions. And I think that's a really important part that we try and ensure that you feel connected, emotionally connected to these characters in the scene. Because if you're not invested in the scene, you're not going to you're not going to you know, pay attention and learn, um, and 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 really pay uh, you know really be able to change your skills and, and understand what's happening. Um, we also, um, you know, there's a lot of secret sauce that the team worked on, which was, you know, custom 3D modeling to ensure that the optimization of the characters is still there so they can be delivered inside these standalone headsets or on, on, on a desktop in a browser. Uh, and then the animation magic um, to allow you to edit those virtual humans yourself as a learning designer, you can actually, you know, add life to these characters, which is really exciting. You know, the notion of an AI avatar that has fairly knowledgeable on the back end chat gpt like understanding has so many merits you know i was i was talking for example to my son who is in his final year of university and one of the things he said about this was you know often a person a human isn't necessarily always comfortable talking to another human because you know, there's, there's bias, or if I have a question, I'm worried that, you know, it might be a dumb question, so I might not ask it. And so, you know, I, I want your take on this, you know, do you think an AI avatar might be better at giving and receiving feedback to someone on performance or soft skills compared to a real human? You know, let unpack that for a bit. Sure. Yeah. I mean, um, it's, it's a core part of, I guess, uh, why we, we built this technology. I mean, we've had feedback from numerous customers, employees and students. Um, they actually do feel more comfortable. And it's a lot of the, the points that your, your son raised is in regards to, you know, they don't want to have that anxiety of feeling judged. Um, so they can uh, they can really, um, you know, experiment, explore and, and be able to, uh, to, to, to dive into uh, ideas and concepts that they may not necessarily have a full grasp on. Um, we did a really interesting project uh, with JFF, uh, Jobs for the Future in the US and SAP, um, and we saw huge, um, uh, you know, uh, efficiency and feedback uh, from learners over two-year period. Um, and they felt like it was like a, a safer, more curated learning environment that they could actually, you know, uh, fail and, 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 and also improve, but there's no judgment from the virtual human. And that's been something we've, we've taken uh, with most of our clients is to, is to allow them to really push into those areas where, you know, it may feel odd to have that conversation with, uh, you know, a, a real person but they can actually have a safe conversation or ask those dumb questions, uh, ask those questions that they might not feel comfortable asking a real person because they might be judged. You guys are really good at analytics. And so I'm curious from your perspective, either with your work from your previous job or this job, you know, we've heard this term uncanny valley, like it's so hard to get a perfect human in the virtual world. Does that come up? at all with, you know, some of the feedback, either qualitative or quantitative with people? I mean, for you guys, your 
virtual humans, as I said before, are stunningly amazing compared to some uh, metaverse-like or virtual world-like platforms. But do you ever get that term come up that, I didn't really want to talk to it because it felt like I was talking to a robot? It's it's really a, a marriage of a few things. I mean, uh, Uncanny Valley is always a, a risky place to sort of tread, and you've got to ba- have a balancing act. Um, again, our art team's done a great job of making the characters realistic, but not hyper realistic. So there's a, there's a, a real. Uh, uh, area of uh, sort of um, uh, focus you need to deliver. So give, making them certainly stylized, but they can still deliver emotionally re- realistic responses is really important. Uh, the other part is also voices as well. So um, we, the ability for our platform, we can either, um, uh, we've got uh, natural language processing voices inside the application, which are continuing to improve. And we, we're experimenting and exploring with some of the new uh, NLP voices that are coming out. Um, but you can also record your own voice and then upload that into uh, the, the uh, application. So we find that a lot of times folks will use the, the, the natural language voices as a, as a, st- a starting point and then may, uh, when they're publishing the application, add, uh, add their own voices. Um, but we're seeing that um, with things like Eleven Labs and some of the other uh, platforms like Vali, you can actually completely clone your own voice. And I've done this myself, so I've got my own version of my own uh, voice and I've also got a, a version of myself in inside Tailspin. So the ability for us to sort of move towards those areas with the new technologies. That being said, I mean, uh, we saw uh, this week, uh, sorry, last week with um, uh, Connect, uh, Mark Zuckerberg uh, showing the updated codec avatars, uh, which are hyper, hyper realistic. And that's that's the you know, obviously the lofty goal we're trying to get to. And we're definitely looking at what the new technologies are looking like and, and when are we ready to sort of move further into that space. But it's, it's, it's definitely a balancing act because you can get, if you're not, uh, seeing those things as, as as human, as you said, there's that 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 icky feeling. So we we'd much rather stay with the stylized, where people feel comfortable. Um, and then once we believe the technology is ready uh, for prime time, then we'll probably see uh, some more upgrades. But the way uh, Tailspin is built allows us to swap out technologies as things improve as well. So our, our architecture is very nimble and, and able to do that. Yeah, his conversation with Lex Friedman was pretty amazing. I mean. I saw side conversations like you already alluded to about, you know, the processing power that must have been behind having a conversation like that. And I'm, I'm sure a, a Quest 2 is not going to be able to handle those sorts <laughs> of things. But uh, it was great to see, like you said, the, the future of where this is going to go. And maybe some of the naysayers will say, OK, uh, I get it now. I get it. Yeah. Yeah, totally great. A- analytics is key. And es- for soft skills, being a teacher, I taught chemistry, you know, I've taught, you know, other very uh, cut and dry quantitative subjects. So trying to develop analytics for soft skills is not easy. But you guys have got a neat little way with generative AI where you're, you'll feed it a rubric in the back end. And that rubric's got criterion reference, things that it's looking for. And then it's analyzing some of the things that happens between the immersive conversations that go on. So I want to learn a little bit more beyond what I just said about how your analytics work. Sure. I mean, um, like how, how it works today, this is how it's, it's going to work with our Gen AI. Uh, uh, so we, we've spent a lot of time 
um, manually uh, working out what skills and scoring looks like for um, uh, ontologies. So uh, we're able to sit there with, with, with uh, teachers or with learning designers and do really extensive capability framework mapping uh, for the skills that we already have inside an application. So you can apply empathy or you can apply active listening to a particular conversation and, and ensure that that skill is being measured and being able to sort of make that uh, judge out of 10. Um, and, and that gives the, the learners immediate feedback when they uh, are having those conversations with those virtual humans saying, you know, you could, could have picked this question because it was more, you know, empathetic or it had, um, you know, you were actively listening more by, by making this response, uh, for example. Um, but with the gener generative AI, it, it, it will start to enhance that. So it will start to, to uh, add additional layers and contextuality based on the responses of, of, of uh, the uh, the, the, the learner as well as um, the generative content that starts to come down the pike as we start to roll that technology out. So it's really exciting because we've already got a very deep understanding of how to do skills mapping and skills ontologies for soft skills. Um, and we've done that for you know, over, over seven years. But the, the, the extension of that is the ability to do that more dynamically and then start to move towards personalized training for participants. So we can start to understand how people more effectively engage with these virtual humans and then tailor content for those people. We still get a lot of people push back on the efficacy, either from a research perspective or maybe a cost perspective about using uh, VR and then virtual avatars. You know, some will say, well, I can get someone just job shadow and that job shadow person can offer that just in time feedback that they crave when they're working on either a sales call or some other soft skills. How do you how do you work with your sales team to sort of help sort of shed some light on maybe that virtual reality might be better? Sure. Yeah. I mean, we we never see these technologies replacing everything. Like that's always an important point. I always see that it's uh, it's an addition and an improvement. Um, so what we can do is uh, like actually having an experienced person that you shadow is is vitally important to understand how to do a job correctly. But some of the things that, that VR delivers, uh, consistency and continuity of training is probably one key thing. Especially uh, understanding the quality of of, uh, of that delivery. If someone's not the best person to shadow because they may not be engaged or they may, they may be doing things the wrong way uh, from an organisational perspective, um, the, the VR uh, virtual human will always do it the right way. They'll always do it the way in line with how the company would like the training to be, to, to be delivered. Um, the objective measurement and analytics, which we've already talked about, um, allows you to have comparisons as well. So if you've got a number of new starters, you're able to see, okay, how, how is the entire team going? Uh, does this person need more help in this certain area versus another one? Um, as opposed to getting subjective feedback from trainers saying, you know, oh, this guy's just not getting it or whatever. They, 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 they aren't able to articulate why they're not getting it. So we can really dive deep into what skills may be lacking or what, what more additional training might this, this particular learner need. Um, the other thing is anytime. So the ability for someone to put a VR headset on during a break period or at, even at home or uh, being able to sort of do that when that person's not able to shadow them. Uh, so that uh, assists with obviously the training resources of, of organisations. So if someone is trying to do their job but then also trying to train someone at the same time, it's quite stressful as opposed to you can say jump into this scenario and and i'll see how you go and then we can talk about your results which is a much more effective way of doing things 
And then the last one is, is those difficult conversations or practicing for rare or unlikely scenarios. So those things, you don't want to have someone exposed to an angry customer screaming at them when it's their first day, but you can do that for them in a safe environment inside virtual reality where they can actually experience that and have the ammunition in place and ready to understand what their responses should be should that, 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 that uh, scenario occur. Well said, actually. Good job. I played with AI as many people have either just through text-based like chat GPT and, and the big worry is they hallucinate or they might sort of spit out stuff that isn't necessarily what you had expected. How worried are you guys at Tailspin in regards to some of these hallucinations that might crop up? Well, it's, it's been really interesting. The approach we're taking um, is definitely a slow and steady uh, approach. So we're making sure that we're, we're we're paying attention to the advances of the technology. One of the first things we're doing, uh, we're using the generative AI tools as a co-authoring tool. So we're not straight away plugging uh, an LLM into a virtual human and hoping for the best. So we're using uh, the existing frameworks, the existing node-based editing uh, uh, software that we have inside uh, Copilot Designer, uh, which will uh, allow you to control what, what's being generated by those that, that, that AI. So think of the the yeah, the, the, the Gen AI as, as a co-author at the moment who can quickly build out a 15-minute conversation, but you're able to edit all of those points at any time and be able to sort of ensure that the information that's being handled is correct. Um, so that's a really great start because we're not straight away throwing this technology into an, a scenario where it may make up information or, 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 or having correct information or not exactly exactly the right type of information. Um, the other thing we're also doing is we're exploring with a number of our, our key organizations um, uh, they are, they're already developing their own custom LLMs. So those custom LLMs are maybe a, a, a version of ChatGPT or BARD or, or one of the other uh, large uh, language models, which is tailored to their particular organization. So that's actually uh, much more nuanced and, it, and it's, it's got their policies and procedures and their information about their organization, the way they talk, the way they train, all of those things are much more tailored and much more skewed towards how they do things. So that allows us to help them build um, guardrails for their learning. So that's where we're seeing the opportunity. So it's going to be a, a very measured approach. Um, I mean, our ultimate goal, obviously, is to move to that space with dynamic inter interaction um, at any time. But there is definitely caveats and asterisks around when it's ready, when it's when it's safe, and when it's delivering the outcomes that we want it to do. So uh, it, there's, there's no point just plugging in something that's a, a the entire internet because you, you, you're likely to sort of have some issues. Uh, for us, it's trying to ensure that is this going to deliver impact for our organisation? Is it going to allow a school or a or, or a company to to um, put their own input into that 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 response um, and make sure that you know a, a student or a learner can't have a conversation about the football or or talk about something that's completely irrelevant to the learning as well. That's the other part is ensuring that uh, while you may be in a, a dynamic interactive space, you're still going along a learning journey. And I think that's really important. And we're, we're very cognizant of that. That's why we're taking our time and making sure we're getting it right. You know, and I was using chat GPT to do some brainstorming on uh, a VR experience for the school I work at. And, you know, I asked it to produce a, a variety of different um, um, just-in-time learning adventures. So, like, choose your own adventure. And one of the sort of ramifications or permutations that it spit it out was 
a little bit left field, but you know, that's actually great. Like often, you know, when we do brainstorming session sessions with people, we get like, if you look at the bell curve, we get sort of the middle group, but you know, how, how often do we tap into the fringes of groups? So the odd hallucination, albeit has to be appropriate and not inappropriate, can be good for the process of whatever you're going through. Yeah, I definitely think there's a, there's definitely opportunities in 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 the dynamic nature of generative AI, and and uh, it's just ensuring, as you said, that there's some safety uh, considerations uh, that, are, that are mapped around those. I think that's really important. And and for me, it's um it, it's making sure that you know while it's, it's great to have a conversation with a character that's left of field when you're you know, brainstorming in a session, if you're trying to train and trying to get uh, you know the effective skills of, of delivering something really important, then you might want to make sure that that's on on point. So I think that's where the, the Obviously, you know, the, the, the situations need to be handled certain ways. Story and story arcs are so key to some of these soft skill training exercises and branching scenarios, which I talked about briefly. And again, I know your team uses generative AI as well as other people, other experts within your organization to help create the best, you know, branching scenario. But with you guys being a global company, you know, culture also plays a part. So, you know, you have, for example, a big organization in the United States and how you deal with soft skills and soft skill training with them might be different than with you guys who deal with people in Asia Pacific. How do you account for that? I think the, the most important part of, of uh, that is the, the ability for uh, our, our customers and our learners and, and um, sorry, our customers and our trainers to actually be able to edit their own content and tailor mm. it to their own nuances. I mean, we've got multinational organizations that, uh, you know, will, will deliver, yeah, as you said, a piece of training for the US, which may need to be tailored for, for the Asian market. Um, they're able to take that module that they've already created and add that custom, the custom sort of localized uh, relevance. So the, that it, it does, uh, you know, uh, pay attention to cultures, especially in a business sense as well. Like if you've got specific things that you have to be aware of um, from a business culture perspective, especially in certain Asian markets, um, you have to be very cognizant of, of, you know, the way people address each other, et cetera, et cetera. Um, we, we can allow the, um, the the organizations to edit and customize that to a level. The other interesting area we're, we're starting to explore is, is um, exposing folks that may be working in one region to another region. Mm -hmm. So they can actually understand, you know, especially if you've got maybe call center people that are dealing with uh, people in another country, they can actually get exposure to how a different culture uh, works. And, and that's really exciting because they start to understand, you know, why someone has reacted a certain way on a conversation. Oh, it's because their culture is slightly different to ours and the approach needs to be a little bit different. So they're really interesting areas that we're starting to explore as well. I want to do a bit of like future speak here. So I've seen a few companies who have also found out a way to plop an AR avatar. You know, I might be sitting at my table here and I can put an AR avatar within my real world and let it talk to me. And, you know, where is Tailspin at in regards to maybe this as a future tool or, you know, is the efficacy still, you know, let's plop them in more of a, a realistic environment instead of within the physical world, like how AR works. Talk to me a bit about how you see uh, AR versus VR avatars. 
No, I mean, mixed reality modality is is definitely on our roadmap, and we're super excited to explore it. It's an area we've we've had, uh, you know, since, since realistically since uh, the uh, Quest Pro uh, first came out, we could see that there's an opportunity there. We've, we work closely with Meta, Lenovo, and Apple, um, and all three now have really exciting mixed reality devices that we, we can definitely see. So that's something that we're we're, we're actively working uh, on, and and we see the ability to um, you know use the higher resolution color pass-through of the existing headsets and then obviously as we move into the future uh, with other devices um, being able to have those virtual humans in a supermarket or in a bank or in a, a hospital being particularly effective those in-situ learning um, uh, uh, opportunities lend themselves to other ways of learning so for the banking example for example uh, we can have a customer that they're serving but then they can still access their computer with all of their banking software on there which means we don't have to replicate that in virtual reality so they're able to access the, you know their existing systems their existing uh, ways of working but they've got a virtual human that they can practice with and that, and 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 equally with you know even physical tasks that they're doing inside a hospital or in a supermarket they could actually do the physical task and then still have a virtual human that they're interacting with um, so there's some really exciting opportunities we see with uh, you know the mixed reality uh, and 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 as especially with like the quest uh, 3 obviously just being launched um, and having particularly uh, um, you know uh, impressive uh, optics and same with the uh, uh, Lenovo VRX that we just launched on as well. Uh, both those devices, you know, are, are, are leaning into that heavily, and we can see that being a, a really exciting area for us as we start to move forward next year. Yeah, having the real world part of your mixed virtual world is amazing. I'm, I'll never forget when I did Ricky Richie's Plank experience, and in that you could drop a board down, calibrate the wooden board. And then try and with your toes feeling that wooden board in the real world, it just added a whole new level. And then I saw on Twitter, someone posted how nurses, if they could plop a avatar of an AI patient, but still feel like the bed around you and, you know, the instruments are still there. So there's there, I, I wasn't, I was pretty bullish on VR because I, from a educator's perspective, from a learning design I've, I, I always had the, these blinders on about, you know, we need to take them into this contextually relevant world. And that was always, for me, hard to envision. Like you wouldn't want, for example, when I first started seeing AR, I'd see like pictures of dinosaurs walking through your living room. And to me, that, that there's no context there, like a dinosaur walking across your living room or even just like a, a giant heart inside your classroom. There's no context there, but as soon as you start to add these AR experiences where they're contextually relevant within the physical world, now we're talking. So no, I agree, and I think also you, you think about um, the uh, Ray uh, Ray Bans that just got released with Meta, uh, where they've added AI into that, so it understands what it's looking at. Uh, it, it, you can see fast forward a couple of years, you can see that you start looking at something, and then the the avatar that's generated will actually understand where it is in space and then be able to reference things around them, which I think is really exciting. Um, I mean, you can see that with schools. You could have, um, you know, uh, university inductees being inducted by a virtual human who can explain where everything is as they're walking through uh, the university to ensure that they feel like they're comfortable on their first day. Joe, is there anything left unsaid that maybe you wanted to talk about that we should tonight? 
No, definitely. I think one of the um, things I'm really excited about is last week we launched um, the Tailspin application on the Oculus Store, uh, which is super exciting. So it allows us to... Um, uh, really target individuals who want to uh, continue their own learning journey um, and navigate the future of work. So we've got some really exciting uh, uh, modules that are available for folks that, that, that download that application. Uh, and we'll continue to add content to that to that application as it, as it uh, delivers. So folks, the teachers that are, you know, um, you know, innovators and they want to jump into this space without even having the, uh, the permission of the school, they can, they can download the application on the store um, and sign up uh, for, for the subscription and they'll be able to get those modules. Uh, firsthand and 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 hopefully influence their schools as they want to dive into this space a bit more. Uh, so really excited about that, and 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 we're, we're seeing more and more exciting content coming in the, in the next couple of months. Amazing. If people want to learn more, how do they get a hold of you, or maybe learn more about what Tailspin's doing? Sure. Um, feel free for anyone to to connect with me on LinkedIn. So it's Joe Millward and. Um, if you go to tailspin.com, you can organize to book a demo and we can take you through the Tailspin platform. Joe, thanks so much again for being on the podcast for a second time. And I really appreciate all your insights. No worries, Craig. Great to talk. Bye for now. See you later.